Let me pray. Father, thank you that we have this wonderful chance to sit at your feet. And remember the Bible is what we've just sung. It is all about Jesus. And we pray that as we read this part of the Bible, you help us to understand how we can know him better and to uh, be a servant of his in this week to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to read Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south, to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now the passage that, of scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers was silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began, being with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, there came some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the town, until he came to Caesarea. And there he bought a house, and he settled down. No, you won't get to know that until Acts chapter 22, but it's true. Anyway, we'll stop there, and uh, the children are going to go off into their different groups, and we'll stay here. And the kids have gone, so we'll start. And here's a question to start with. I wonder where you would put yourself on this line. Think of the top-down line, where down at the bottom, I think everybody agrees that Adolf Hitler's the worst person they know. If he was alive, he would be. And... I can't think of everybody's common hero. Let's say it's the Queen, uh, and she's right at the top. Okay, so there's a line with Adolf at the bottom, Queen at the top, and 
if you don't like the Queen, maybe today, uh, this week, it's Prince Charles's birthday, so you might want to put him uh, on the top of the tree if you like trees and if you like whales. Um, you might want Prince Charles to be up there, but otherwise, I think everybody thinks the Queen is pretty good, so we'll stick with her. Now, where would you put yourself on the line? Are you as bad as Adolf Hitler, or as good as the Queen, or maybe you're somewhere halfway? <coughs> right, uh, I'm killing someone off by even asking them to put themselves in the line. And where would you put yourself? Would you put yourself halfway there? Now, here's the next question. If you were going to, if you were God and you were going to draw a cut-off line as to who would be in and who would be out, where would you draw the cut-off point? Would you draw the cut-off line above you or below you? Now, I want to suggest that most people, if they are older, if they've been to church a lot, will draw the cut-off line below them. So we wouldn't say that uh, we're as bad as Adolf Hitler, uh, we wouldn't say we were as good as the Queen, but we're good enough for God to have us. And we'd normally put ourselves there. But if you're younger, and you haven't been to church, the good chance is that you might put yourself below the line. And you would say that if God had a cut-off line, you would expect to be under the line, and not over it. And a lot of uh, young people, I think, would probably wonder if that might be true for them. And I want to suggest that the today's story is about an Ethiopian who would put himself below the line. We'll see that uh, in a moment. And uh, if that is someone like you, well then, listen in, because this is good news. But if you're someone who puts yourself above the line, Listen even more, because actually it's important for you to hear how it is someone below the line who has good news given to them. Okay? So here's the first point to learn from. Uh, that God wins rejected people. And we're going to see that as we look at the story of this Ethiopian eunuch. Now, if you were here last week, you will know that, that the first part of that new heading we covered last week, God wins. Now, it's worth saying that again and again and again because it often seems that God is losing. If you looked at last week and you looked at uh, what was happening in front of you, the printout of what the church is like, you will see the Jerusalem church is emptying very quickly people leaving and scattering out everywhere. And you would also read about uh, a very distinguished man who became a Christian and then turned out to be really corrupt, as corrupt as he was before. And so you think, well, having someone in, like that in the church is going to uh, not be any victory. And so you look and you say, actually, the church is losing, God is losing. The only person winning, if you look at the first four verses of chapter 8, is this man called Saul. If anyone's winning, he's winning, God's losing. But then you look closely, we did that last week, and you see that actually, in all of that, God is still winning in all those little losses that you see. So yes, the church is emptying, and they're going to other places talking about Jesus instead. And yes, uh, this man is uh, 
a hoax, but he is exposed and not allowed to continue in that way. And Saul, the one who seems to be winning against Christians, will one day be winning with Christians. But you've got to wait until next week to see that. So God is winning all the way through, and it is just worth saying again and again, God wins, God's winning all the time, because it seems like God is losing all of the time. And you therefore ask, how is Beckentry Church? What's going on? And the answer's got to be, God is winning. That's how it is. That's the big message we've got to be holding on to and uh, sticking with again and again. And last week we saw in the most of that uh, chapter, the first part of the chapter, is God wins and Samaria is won for Jesus. And this week we see that God is continuing his big activities to get the gospel into new places, into new people. And today he builds uh, not just to Samaria, but he's building the railway line now to Africa because the first African becomes a Christian. He's a man from Ethiopia, and he is clearly a great success. When you look at him, he is a high-ranking official, and he's got all the trappings of power. He turns up in this state-of-the-art chariot, and uh, you find out that he is the one who's got uh, the, the queen of... Uh, uh, Ethiopia is a very, very rich queen, and he's got her bank card. He's in charge of all her money. Here is a man who is massively influential. And yet, you find that actually, he is a man who is rejected. There's one thing there that will tell you, that uh, if he's going to Jerusalem, the story is not going to end well. And that is there in the very beginning when you first hear about him, in verse 27, he is an Ethiopian uh, eunuch. And I don't know if he's got to Jerusalem without doing his homework and didn't realize this, or whether it was in the Good Planet Guide and he didn't read it carefully. But one of the things you find out if you're a eunuch and you go to the temple to worship, it is the right place to go to, the temple is the place to worship God, but he's not allowed to go in. Because, as you see in your notes, and as you see on the screen, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1 says, no eunuch, essentially, will get into the assembly of the Lord. If you want the details, there they are on the screen. The Bible says that if someone like that comes to the temple, he doesn't get in. Now, if he got the temple, he would therefore have been allowed perhaps into the outer court, the court of the Gentiles, but they are not God's people. So he'd have gone to worship God and he would have felt treated as if he was not God's, one of God's people. Here's a man who is absolutely important. He's a success in every way. If he went to any economic summit in the country, he would immediately be welcomed in. They would have wanted favors from him. But when he gets to the temple in Jerusalem, 
the bouncers would put the hand out and say, no, you can't come. We, hear, we heard you're an Ethiopian and you're the treasurer of the Queen of Candace. Therefore, we know how it works. You will have uh, your uh, ability to bear children taken away from you and therefore uh, you are not allowed under our law. So he is a man who comes to worship God and finds that the place that he wants to worship God in will not allow him entry. But God wins rejected people. And you still see the winning because he places Philip, calls him out to a very successful mission in Samaria and he puts him in right, the right place for the chariot to go by and the chariot to go by after leaving Jerusalem as opposed to on the way when he wouldn't have felt rejected but now on the way back Philip is there to meet the man the temple has turned out and he's read the Bible they say that he wasn't allowed in the temple but he was allowed into the temple bookshop and because he didn't have an expensive wife at home or wives expensive and he didn't have holiday presents to buy for her and therefore he could spend his holiday money on buying something to read and so he buys the scroll of Isaiah let me tell you the scroll of Isaiah is the biggest and therefore you wouldn't have got it all into one chariot he would have had to choose which of the scrolls that uh, he was going to buy and read and the bit of the scroll that he bought has Isaiah chapter 53 in it and he's reading it and he's asking questions God has put that scroll into his hand so that he can read that part of the Bible that would bring him to think. And as uh, uh, Rob said in the introduction, God is absolutely in control. Why? Even in verse 29, after all that is put into place, he then tells Philip, now go up and meet the chariot. God is directing operations in every detail. God is there to win this rejected man. But notice the second thing, that he is going to do that through Christians. In this case, through Philip. Now, I don't know if the chariots have stopped and the horses are resting and then Philip goes up the chariot because he's uh, had to run up to, to get there to, to, to catch up with it. Or it could be that he's running alongside the chariot. But as he gets there, he hears the man reading the prophet Isaiah. Now Philip's not a mind reader, he doesn't know that that's what he's reading, but he can hear him read, because those days they read aloud, and that's the best way to read. Even today, Faramaz, when I'm trying hard to concentrate and I'm studying at our dining table, Faramaz would come down with his Farsi Bible and sit down at the other end of the dining table, and he would read his Bible, he would read it aloud. And I would stare daggers at him across the table um, to, to glare at him, but of course he wouldn't see the glare because he's reading the Bible. And he's reading aloud, and then I look at my Bible as well, and I see that he's doing the right thing. That's the best way to read it. 
so I know what I'll do tomorrow. I shall go into competition. <laughs> See if I can't get my own back. But that is, that is uh, how uh, Philip knew. And as he listens, he asks these, uh, the, the man, uh, when he gets in conversation with you, asks these three brilliant questions. And he gets three brilliant answers that we can learn from. And Philip goes up to him and says, uh, do you understand what you're reading? And the man asks in verse 31, uh, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And then he invites Philip to come and take a seat in first class. And so he can ask the question and Philip can explain. What the man is really saying here is, I need a guide. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because this is a very clever man. You don't get to the top of this tree unless you have an ability to understand things. And so he is a clever man and he's a, he's, he's a, he's a um, very powerful man, very successful man. But he's also a humble man. And he says, I need help. And he needs a guide, and I think I've learned something from this that is going to change the way I do things. Because in the past, I think I've said, look, here's a Bible, you get on and read it. I've done that with many Muslim friends. And yet, the truth is that however clever people are, if you just give them a Bible and say, will you please read it, they will not make head or tail of it unless there is a guide. And you find this even in hotels. The Gideons used to put a hotel in every bedroom, uh, in Bible in every hotel bedroom. They still do that, but they find they still need to put into the Bible a guide. If you're worried about something, then read these parts, these passages. But the reason why Philip is a good guide, and why only a Philip would be able to understand and help this man, is because Philip has a one Bible approach to Bible reading. That is, he understands that the Old Testament Bible can only be understood if you get the New Testament in. You'll only understand what Isaiah is saying if you understand that it is about Jesus. So the Old Testament needs the New Testament. And the New Testament needs the Old Testament. You won't understand really what Jesus has done unless you understand Isaiah. We'll see that in a minute. And so therefore, a person who has a one, needs, you need to have a guide with a one Bible view of the book to be able to help anybody else to understand any part of the book. And Philip is the best guide. He can take the Old Testament and say, okay, I can show you the New Testament from what you've been reading. So the first thing he does is he asks this question, uh, how can I understand? And he says, uh, let me tell you, uh, Philip has a gu is a guide. So it is interesting that God directs everything about this man hearing about Jesus. But he won't say, right, okay, I'll just basically blitz your mind with understanding so you don't have to ask any more questions. 
No. You need a Philip. God will be absolutely in control, but he will do it through another person rather than directly speaking into this person's life. Secondly, he asks this bigger, bigger question about whom is the prophet talking, verse 34. In other words, who is he talking about? And the answer that he gets is he's talking about Jesus. Now, uh, Philip actually says that, and uh, the question says in verse 34, how does who's, who's the prophet talking about? And Philip in verse 35 opens his mouth and beginning with the scripture, told him the good news about Jesus in verse 35. Now to understand how this is about Jesus, please keep your finger in Acts chapter 8 and turn, if you want to find Isaiah, it's dead simple, just open it, bang in the middle of the Bible and you will get Isaiah. Okay? The only problem is now you've gone and shot Acts chapter 8, haven't you? Unless you put the finger in first. But if you go to the middle of the page, or if you want me to give you the page number, 614. Page 614, and you go to Isaiah 53. And you see the man is reading verses 7 and 8. Which is fascinating. Because here is a man who has just been rejected. And now he's reading about this man in Isaiah, who was rejected. So he's been rejected at the temple, and in verse 7 uh, of uh, Isaiah chapter 53, Jesus, this person he's talking about, he doesn't know it's Jesus. Here's a man who was oppressed and afflicted. But as you look at that, you see he wasn't just rejected. He was like in verse 7, a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shearers. Now what's all this talk about a lamb and a sheep coming from? But all you've got to do is to wind back the scroll a little bit and just look at verse 6. And in verse 6 you see that this sheep dies for other sheep. For foolish sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned away, everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on this sheep, of verse 7, the iniquity of the foolish sheep of us all. Now, that is to and just go back to that line. Oh yes, I put in chapter uh, um, And go back to the line that we were talking about earlier. Okay? And you say, well, that's your line and you're under God's line. And what God does is actually far above your line, way above, is the God of heaven and earth. And he comes down to your line and if you like, all the things that keep you below the line are laid on him so that he can then take you not just to the best person but way beyond 3,000 miles higher in goodness than the queen or however high you want to unimaginably put him and God takes you to his life 
as you become like him, therefore accepted by him. And so God does that and the lamb comes and dies, if you like, to come down to your place on the line in order to take you to his place on the line. And that's what he explains in verse 36, uh, sorry, in verse 35. Jesus opened his mouth, beginning of scripture, told him the good news about Jesus. The man who was underneath the line can be taken up to God's line by the sacrifice that Jesus made for him on the cross. And the wonderful thing about that is the where Isaiah says, you know what that means, don't you? And if you look at page 614 and uh, just uh, go slightly beyond that, if you uh, Philip could have pulled down the scroll a little bit and he would have uh, read to him Isaiah 65. And if you look at Isaiah 65 verse 1, you see that that means that everyone... Sorry? 56, yes. Um, thank you, Rob. Uh, I always talk nonsense unless I've got Rob at the back correcting me. Uh, Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 1. And, sorry, Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 1. Uh, 55 verse 1 come everyone who does in other words no one needs to be left out. this offer is open for everybody this wonderful meal that God says I will give you without new cost having to pay anything because I paid it ok so welcome is extended to everybody in Isaiah 55 and in Isaiah chapter 56 you get a couple of examples what that means for some people. And if you look at Isaiah chapter 56 verse 3, what's it got to say? What does the welcome say to the foreigner, to the eunuch? Well, Isaiah 56 verse 3, let not the foreigner who has joined himself the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And, note this, let the eunuch not say, behold, I am a dry tree. <coughs> Don't think yourself rejected anymore, for thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, in other words, who are now my people, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name, better than sons and daughters, I give them an everlasting name, they shall be not cut off. Of course, if you're a eunuch, you have no continuing name. God says, I will give you a continuing name, an everlasting name. If you're a eunuch, you can't go into the temple. You're outside God's house. Now, Isaiah says in uh, chapter 56, verse 5, I will give in my house and within my walls. Because you are going to be there with me. You're not excluded anymore. You're not rejected anymore. You're one blessed. That's why in the second point, he realizes, I can be accepted because of Jesus. And then he asks his third question, what's to stop me being baptized? Now you understand the strength of that question, don't you? The strength of that question is just basically say, look, would that actually then work with me? What you're saying is right, 
then surely even I can come and I can be baptized. I'm not the excluded one anymore. I can be included through baptism, can't I? If what you're saying is true. And so that's the third point that he wants to learn. God accepts me, therefore I can be baptized. Baptism is a sign of acceptance. That's why, incidentally, if you look at your Bible, you will notice that verse 36 goes to verse 38, and verse 37 is missing. Why is verse 37 missing? Well, it's not quite missing. It's right at the bottom of your page in small print. And it's right at the bottom of your page in small print because it's not in the original manuscripts. It later came to be added that if you believe in your heart uh, you can, uh, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, uh, that you can be baptized. Well, that later became to be part of what people said when they were baptized, and it's perfectly true. But it's not actually what Luke um, uh, originally wrote, not in the earliest manuscripts, it's an add-on later, because Luke wants to make the point that it's not a question about what's in our hearts that makes us ready to be baptized, but the fact is that what Jesus has done for us on the cross, well, that is the basis on which I can come in. If he's done that, what's to stop me being baptized? Well, not even my heart, actually, which is never where it should be in full. God can even accept me. So baptism is a sign of God's acceptance. A wonderful sign, isn't it? Because in baptism a person is washed of all the things that keep them below the line. And baptism is a wonderful sign of what actually happens when Jesus as the perfect sheep dies for straying sheep. It means that actually we get identified with his death. In other words, he's died for us. When we go underwater, that is a wonderful statement that is being made. We are, if you like, covered by his death. And then when we come out of the water into new life, well, that is what the Christian life is all about. Dying to sin, killing off my old life, and the things that didn't that kept me below the line, killing those things off. And then waking up, living to God in a new life as I come out of the water to start again and follow Him. So therefore it's a wonderful sign of God accepting us and it's a wonderful way for us to understand what it means to be a Christian. So it's a sign of full acceptance from God um, and if you have not been baptized, that is a sign of acceptance the Bible puts on genuine believers uh, in the New Testament. And it's also a sign of our response to Him. We die to sin and we live to God. And we do that because God accepts us. So God says, as God wins, rejected people through Christians. Now what does that mean for us today? But I think the first thing we want to uh, 
remember and learn from the unit is that everything hangs on whether we have the humility to see that if there is a God then you will be below his line without comparing ourselves with anybody else if there is a God we are going to be underneath his line and the first realization has to start coming there and if we have the humility to admit that the way you, it, that will come across is to say okay if I am below the line I will need someone to guide me to help me with what I uh, don't understand and therefore you will want to invite a Christian to come and sit with you and explain to you what the God of the Bible is like and how to be right with him and if that's you uh, listening here or maybe on our website we'd be really happy to open the Bible with you to share the good news about Jesus the way that Philip did and as you understand the good news it will make you what the sign of God's acceptance which is baptism where you will then say to yourself why even I can be included and be part of God's people too maybe you've actually been to churches lots and you've had lots of sermons in other words you've had lots of guides and it looks like you've had what Philip had but be careful because not all the guys that we have in our churches are Philip's and Jesus speaks about the Bible teachers of his time the ones that were around him and he gives a warning in Matthew chapter 15 verse 14 let them alone they are blind guides and if the blind lead the blind both will fall into a pit and my friends as Jesus said that about many of the leaders around him so I think we have to say this about many of the churches around us today that the fact that we've been there and heard lots means nothing not if the guides are blind and it's not really given us too much sight and our Christian lives haven't really got out of pit yet. We call ourselves Christians, but the guides have not served us well. And I think that's true of churches that teach the Bible in snippets. That is, one week you will get this bit here, next week you will get that bit there, and you never see the join. And probably, as you hear the snippets, therefore, you will get the Bible read, but if you listen to the explanation, it's not really an explanation. It's just something's come out of the preacher's own head. That's blindness. That's not eyes open, looking at the Bible, teaching it. 
And the only reliable guides will be the ones who have a one-book approach to the Bible. That is, who will take the Bible like a book and say, okay, let's look at this bit here, and now let's look at the next bit there, and constantly bring the Old Testament and the New Testament together. You saw that happening all, the, all along, didn't you? Certainly in Acts chapter 6, uh, Acts chapter 7, we saw how uh, Steve, uh, Philip's predecessor, Stephen, uh, was talking about how the Old Testament showed the rebellion in the hearts of the New Testament Jewish leaders. And now in uh, uh, Samaria, we saw how uh, Philip uh, explains the good news of Jesus and uh, uh, he explains uh, the kingdom of God and uh, that would be an explanation of how Jesus fulfills uh, the first five books of the Bible that the Samaritans believed in. And now here is Philip talking to the eunuch and saying what you were reading in Isaiah, I can do the one Bible book and explain it. It's actually good news about Jesus. And the difficulty is, if you don't have Bible teaching like this, the one book Bible teaching, you will have people looking at the Old Testament alone and not really understanding it, treating it as a book of law. And therefore you will go to this church and essentially it's a bit like walking into the temple. You've got to be a good person to get in. And if you're not a certain type of good person, or say for example if you're gay, you're not allowed in to this form of religion. Because the rules keep you out of the door. And you don't feel welcome if you want to go through the door. But anyone with Bible, one Bible understanding will be able to show that actually God's welcome is for everyone. All the outcasts that people looked upon in their day and all the outcasts that, God, that people look upon today. Wonderfully welcome. But wonderfully welcome to come in to the kingdom of Jesus and in that sense to be baptized included, yes, anyone. But remembering that baptism includes death and resurrection. That is, you die to your old self in order to live a new life of God. We welcome people to hear that. And if you don't have that one Bible approach, you will find churches where essentially certain people are officially unwelcome and banned, just like the Ethiopian eunuch would have been from the temple in his time. But what if you are a real believer like Philip? And I think it's just helpful to see him as an ordinary believer, because he wasn't a full-timer. The full-timers are the apostles there, Jerusalem, they're still there. But Philip, when he comes at the story, he's waiting tables. But look, can you see how Philip has grown? He hasn't just been in one place. His understanding about Jesus has grown. He's able to now understand the one book, understanding of Jesus, and he's able to teach it to others. So I would suggest that Philip is the ordinary Christian and can understand the Bible enough to teach it. Every Christian should be 
like this. There isn't such a thing really ultimately as a silent Christian. If you don't want to talk about Jesus, the chances are you probably aren't somebody who is following him. I know people hide behind things like saying, um, you know, I, I, I prefer to uh, say it with my life, commend my Christianity the way I live. But it's very difficult to see how you can actually uh, um, go down that line when you look at verse 35 and you see then Philip opened his mouth. It's good to say as much as you can with your life, but you won't say enough without opening your mouth. Silent belief, I want to suggest, isn't real belief. And it might just help you if uh, um, your heart tells you I don't want to do this um, and you want to stay where you are, that probably is a good meter reading that you aren't actually a real follower of Jesus. Worth just taking that in and seeing it for what it is. Because every believer who understands the Bible has something to say. And every person, therefore, who understands the Bible and has something to say will, as a result of tonight maybe, want to go home and to say, Lord, tomorrow put me at the intersection of someone's life where I can say something about Jesus and show how that's good news. And it's something I think that, therefore, uh, we would want to be praying for it's a wonderful thing when you pray and it happens. I was praying this when I went to Burton on a train. I had a day trip there, I had a train drive there and back. Nothing happened on the train going up. On the train coming down, I lo left my umbrella and my cap on the previous train. I do this quite a lot and I had yet another conversation with the ticket conductor to say, how do I get my umbrella and my hat back? And while he was explaining, the man across um, was listening and he said, uh, what kind of accent do you speak with? Because it sounds Scottish, but it seems quite posh. Um, so beginning with the, with, with the Bible in this passage, I explained, not quite this passage, but I, 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 we then got chatting and he turned out to be fairly a high-level scientist. And uh, I said, and how does your science leave you as an atheist or as an agnostic? Or how do you, how do you, and then he told me about how he believed. And then for the rest of the two hours, we had a wonderful conversation about Jesus. Mm. And uh, I was able to send him a follow-up email after that because he wanted me to stay in touch with him. And he took books that I recommended, and I said, after you read that, come back to me and we can have a cup of coffee together. It's a wonderful thing that you ask Jesus to give you an opportunity when you are on the road and someone else is on the same road and you can talk. Now, that may not happen on a train, and there's a good chance that not all of them would have been reading Isaiah 53 beforehand. But maybe at the bus stop there could be someone that he could start talking to, and begin to show friendship towards. 
And it may be as a result of that, as I found with two people I met this afternoon, well, actually one person specifically who spoke to me, and we got talking about Jesus because they didn't say to me, the Bible doesn't add up, but they did say to me, my life doesn't add up. And so we'd be able to say, well, why is that? Isn't that exactly what the Bible will tell us if we think what you think about God? And no wonder it doesn't add up. We were able to have a good conversation. They invited me into their home, not quite at the chariot. I had um, a good level of luxury. I wasn't on the doorstep talking to uh, them as other people today were, but I was taken into the house and I was sat down and said, okay, let's talk and explain. Ask the Lord to put you at the intersection of people's lives so you can share Jesus with them. And maybe beginning with this passage, this understanding of God, ask them to draw uh, where they are on the line, where you, they would expect God to draw the line. And maybe from that beginning, you can perhaps explain to them the great truth about Isaiah and the sheep died for the sheep below the line so that they could be taken to the line that belongs to God and to be accepted by him and maybe to see that they are so included they too can be baptized but let's pray that God will help us to get that across this week let me pray first but after you prayed we'll give you a minute and then after that answers. Why don't we do that? Let me pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity tonight to see how uh, the Bible is best explained by Phillips, who have this one book, Understanding of Your Word, who can teach the old and the new together. And we thank you for those who have been good guides to us when that has happened. And we pray for your help where many of us probably have come from churches where there have been uh, uh, blind guides and have taught us uh, things that uh, in the end um, are not really true to your words. We pray that you would please help us to... Uh, see that they are blind guides and to put aside all that they have said and to start again by listening to what the Bible tells us about the Lord Jesus so that we might uh, be those who mature and grow like Philip and then be able to speak words of help tomorrow to someone you put across our path Pray that you'd help us to see that uh, uh, silent Christianity uh, is not real and probably that we believe that because we've had blind guides teaching us that in the past. But please help us, Father, we pray to see that these are uh, stories that give us reasons to pray that we might be a Philip in our own way, in our own day, with those who are lost without Jesus and maybe feel themselves below the line 
wanting to worship you. So we pray you please use us in this new week to the praise and glory of his name. Amen. Amen.